just to see you smile again. Will your praise for love and peace? You wake the thought police. We can hide the truth inside. Could be wrong, could be wrong, but it should have been right. Is out of control. Could be wrong, could be wrong. It can never last. Could be wrong, could be wrong. Better raise it fast. Could be wrong, could be wrong. But it could have been right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Today is Friday, November 12th, 2021. Uh, yesterday, I impromptu took the day off only because um, I have some super duper. So this documentary that, you know, I've been working on, probably frustrating the person that's editing it too, uh, had put it all together. The narration was to begin uh, piece by piece. And guys, it's going to be bigger than that. So what I'm going to do is something you've probably never seen before. It's going to be 100% free as long as you watch it live on Twitter. Um, it's going to be a docu-series. Uh, every day there will be uh, an episode played. And on Christmas Day, the final one airs. This was important to me. Not, not Twitter, uh, Twitch. Did I say Twitter? I meant Twitch. I meant Twitch, not Twitter. Sorry. So it'll be free. I will figure out the time. So that way all time zones, you know, the nine to fives can catch it. Obviously you can see it on your phone. Uh, it will not stay on Twitter. Um, I will be taking it down after the live. So it will not be saved. Um, in the new year, I will release it to be uh, put out. So it's going to be during the period where people can slack at work a bit and I'll do it in the evening. It'll be like, uh, you know, each episode will be one hour uh, it'll be um, a full 12 days of Christmas for you. And um, it's going to be pretty incredible. I don't think anyone has ever taken you on a journey of a story from the beginning to the end and then to the beginning of the new one too. So I know um, and I'm grateful that the person and and other people working on this with me are patient, but this is not, you know, a MAGA movie. Okay. This is not uh, a conservative only movie. This is going to be like oil of even those that refuse to see. So I needed to make sure that it was done in such a way that first of all, it's never been done, I think, in um, videography ever history. Don't believe that, you know, it's kind of like the lottery. I'll tell you what. So there's a local gas station downtown that I go to. Usually when I go there, they only have one pack of smokes that I want. Obviously, I have a Tesla, so I don't need gas. But they're the closest one. They're literally around the corner, literally with, with the car, right, around the corner. I have to go over a bridge. 
Um, so today it was fun because I met the owner of the gas station, who's a Tory Says listener, and kind of, you know, caught me, you know, by surprise. <laughs> I actually called the gas station before I left and I was like, listen, I need cigarettes. I want to buy a carton so that I have. Do you have a carton or two? And um, the person on the phone was like, well, we don't sell cartons. And I was like, damn, because it was like a small place. I hadn't been there since I think, what is it? It's November, right? I want to say maybe one or two months, maybe a little bit more. Um, only because they always never had my cigarettes. Anyway, so I called because I was like, shit, I'm out of cigarettes and I got to work. So they were like, yeah, um, we have some. I was like, good, put all of them on the side and we're coming to get them. They had like five. So I walk in and the place was changed. I was like, damn, what happened? It was like, totally revamped, brand new. I was like, damn. So I was like, hi, I called about the cigarettes. And then someone was like, um, are you, are you Tori? And I was like, huh? From like Tori says. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh my God, I recognize the voice. <laughs> and it was so incredible to just see that people are listening and, you know, they're, they're taking, you know, the reins of information and I was like, whoa, that's, well, hey, I'm like super excited. Um, so, you know, it was the best hug ever. And I needed it because today was a very busy day for me. Um, I'd been in outside meetings all day. I'm trying to see how I'm going to get this um, docu-series uh, put together. So I, I actually mapped out the whole first two episodes and the trailers. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, imagery that needs to be redone, but we will get this out. Um, we're going to be working really, really hard to get this out. I think it's important, um, that people, um, see this. It's not something it's like, it's going to calm the waters. I think most people that see it will start to realize what enjoy the show really means and what movie they're watching the movies that are premiering now and have been for a while. It's like that movie theater that just has them keep going, keep going, keep going because they're popular, but it's like, because it's constantly getting a flux, but it's not like all the flux and, um, and also the ones that will be showing. Um, it'll be filled with Easter eggs that you can see. So um, I thought that I could, um, start on the blockchain. So I made two NFTs, a poster, and then a poster with my, um, my own little popcorn man smoking. So, um, those just so you know, will be like legit, the only ones out there. Um, so I made an NFT for that. So they'll stay forever on the internet, on this internet forever. Um, I will be putting out two other ones, which will also give, you know, the person, this will be like after Christmas, like the full files of the whole docu-series too. Um, so I've minted that. So it's been minted forever in the blockchain. So nobody can touch it. Nobody can change it. And the person that gets it, it's theirs forever. Um, It'll be like one of those, it's not going to be like a documentary that's going to be 
um, let's just say it's eye-opening. And I kind of leaked a little bit of the footage that we were playing with um, yesterday, <laughs> preview of the preview. So I wanted to, you know, put it out there for you guys. It's I, I think that the left is going to embrace it a lot. Uh, so, uh, and, and my target audience is every single human being on this planet or whatever you call a planet. So today we're going to walk through a few things that have been happening. Um, this morning, huh, while I was in a meeting, I was talking to someone who was an accountant. I said, well, you know, I don't have this kind of parlay, but I, I have a friend who's I like to call a friend, right? That I've never talked with, but they're really good with numbers and this. And then as they were having that conversation, they were looking up my friend and then an article comes up and he was like, wait a minute, Media Matters did a hit piece on you. And I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, Steve Bannon. I was like, wow, where's Steve now? I haven't seen him in a while, like on my telegram or anywhere. I should look him up. <laughs> and right then and there, like minutes later, when that came up, it's like, yep, he was indicted, which is incredible. Now, people will be like, what? Look, I know all of us have his back, right? All of us, all of us have his back. And I let him know that all of us have his back. But I want you to understand just how this boomerangs back at them. Because it's important to understand, right, that what they said was astonishing. Remember, words, use their words, right? Use their words. Well, what statements did they make? Think about it. Attorney General Merrick Garland said, the charges reflect a steadfast commitment to equal justice under the law. Well, we're going to hold you to that, that whole equal justice. That sounds good. The judge that backed up Biden's position said presidents are not kings. We will hold them to it. This is how boomerangs happen. They bite you in the ass when you do things. So allow it. Allow it. Now, having said that, I wanted to reiterate something that I saw kind of coming up. And I know a lot of people get very touchy with this topic a lot. It's um, extremely personal. Um, your faith is an extremely personal situation. But it's important to understand that religion and God are not the same thing right? It's, it's really not. God came to, God sent his son. And if you know the stories of Jesus, he actually came to abolish the religion that was in place, right? It wasn't like God sent his son Oh, yeah, because you need to vote this way or, you know, um, you need to think a certain way because religious doesn't automatically mean Christian or faithful, right? It doesn't. And Republican 
doesn't mean Christian, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. And just because, you know, a lot of people claim, oh, well, that person is blind. They just can't see. It doesn't mean that you have vision. If religion was so great, the construct of religion was so great, why have so many been, why have so many wars been created out of it? Have you thought of that? Why does the the church have these elaborate buildings? They're dripped in money and gold, yet they fail to feed the poor. And why do we have poor people? Why? We have truckloads of food being thrown out every day. Why are they allowing the lack? You know, telling, you know, telling people that single moms, that the, the, the God doesn't love you because you're divorced, right? Or that, you know, <clears throat> God doesn't love you because you're single or you had a child out of wedlock. That's, that's wrong. Who is you? Who are you to say that? Right. And if you read the old Testament, it actually says that religious people, people that abide by what the churches say or the temple say or whatever are actually whores. It literally says that. So religion may preach about grace, right? But it's another thing to actually practice it. In fact, they tend, churches in general and temples tend to ridicule God's own people. They did it to John the Baptist, didn't they? They did. They can't fix their problems, so they mask it, right? They're not realizing that it's like spraying perfume on a pig or a casket. That's the way it is. Because the problem with religion is it never looks at what the actual essence of it is. It's just modifying people's behavior and giving you a list of chores to do and how you need to abide, right? That's what it does. It's to modify how you respond to things and do things. It lets, you know, oh, let's all play dress up and we look, 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 we look pretty. We'll look put together, no hair astray, nice and neat, all in a nice little box with a bow. But, you know, that's what you do to puppets, and dolls, you dress them up, right? You dress them up. And then another thing is, nice and neat, or also what you do to the dead. Muslims do it. The Jews do it. The Christians do it. The Indians do it. They wrap their corpses up all nice and neat. And it's rotting right there under that sheet. It's totally rotting, right? Now, I'm not saying that people keep putting on a fake facade of what they believe is how someone godly should act. It's fake. Because the only way some people know that you're Christian is by quoting scripture or, you know, holding a Bible as a, as a shield or putting that shit on your Facebook. Like you do your relationship status or, you know, in Jesus's name, or you do a, a cross. I mean, we just saw Joe Biden, you know, do a cross at the unknown. So stop, stop. It's all fake. 
in every other aspect of life, you know that logic is, the logic tells you, right, that that doesn't make sense. You can't pretend to be Christian or say you're Christian because you're holding a Bible or you're spewing out, you know, scriptures. It's like me putting on, you know, a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader uniform and saying, yo, I'm a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, right? That's not how it works. See, a lot of people do to, do that, right? It's a game, right? Um, they play a part. It's like, you know, the guy down the street who goes to church every day, but, you know, he's watching porn.com in the evening while his wife is sleeping, right? You know, they go to um, church on Sunday drunk from the night before after God knows what they did that, you know, the church says, no, don't do that. Right. Acting like, oh, you know, I'm so godly and I go to temple or, you know, uh, my Jimmy or, you know, my church and I didn't have sex and totally get high or drunk. I'm like, super look at me. Right. Everybody puts on this facade, this mask, this pretend. And this is exactly how I see the church. Because I know, in fact, that no matter what facade I put out to someone, inside, God already knows what's inside. So the church is putting on this facade of I welcome you all, but you got to wear a mask. I welcome you all, but you got to be straight. I welcome you all, but you've got to pay your dues. I welcome you all, but you must have a vaccine. But God already knows everybody's weakness. And he also knows what's weak within those walls, right? And my weakness that he sees is not a failure. It is my superpower. It is your superpower. I heard this somewhere before. If grace was water, then the church should be an ocean, right? I hope you guys have heard that before. Because a church is not supposed to be somewhere where don't touch, you're going to break that shit. You're not supposed to go in there and watch a show or, you know, don paintings, right, for just good people. A church is supposed to be where broken people go to get healed. That is what a church is supposed to be. A church, a temple is supposed to be a place where you walk in and you feel like you're getting healed, right? Healed. And that's not something we see, especially during this time. Because people are broken and they need a hospital. Therefore, the church is that, right? It's not, you're not supposed to go there because you're a good person. You're supposed to go there because you're broken and in shambles. And you should be as broken and vulnerable and in shambles you are. Straight to church. You don't have to hide everything you fail at and your wants and your needs. You don't have to hide your sins when you speak to God because the salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on him, right? Your salvation is to him.
it's, you know, churches are driving me insane today from the things that I've seen from the Latter-day Saints, you know, the Jehovah Witness churches, the Eastern Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Catholic, the Protestant, the Lutheran, the, the even, even the Muslim, right? Jamis are, it's insane. Like I'm thinking, what are these imams thinking? Right. And then you've got the temples. They're all, you know, insane. It's like, we don't want you in our church if you don't wear a mask. We don't want you if you're not vaccinated. We don't want you if you're a sinner. But you know what? God looks down on every single one of you and says, I want you. And the more sinner you are, the more I want you. That is how he looks at humans. And that's so different than what churches do. That is so different than what churches do. It, it breaks me to see it. It hurts me. And this is why in the stories of, you know, Jesus in the Bible, if you read it and understand it, Jesus called all of those religious fogies, the Pharisees, fools, because they were doing it wrong. See, God is more than that. He's better than just following rules. I love, don't get me wrong, I love going to church. I love listening to prayers, being sung, the hymns. I love the Bible. And I believe that there is sin. But you have to ask yourself, and I think Tom McDonald even said it, if Jesus was alive today, he'd be canceled. Do you think your church would let Jesus come in the way you read about him in the Bible? Do you think that they would let him in the church? Highly doubt it. Remember how those religious Pharisees would refer to him, a drunk a gluten, throwing tables, a disruptor. Remember, that's what they called him, those religious people. And he was not, you know, self-righteous then, now, or he won't ever be. The son of God is not supported, does not stand on self-righteousness ever. I think it's really important to mention that God and religion are actually on opposite spectrums. One is the work of God, and the other one is a man-made invention. Remember, his church were the apostles, the people that sent the word out. His church was that. When they got together and spoke of him, he came, right? I, I see so much pain to many that found refuge in the church because they like rules and routine. It's so hard. But remember, church is man-made. One of those, between church and God, one is the cure and the other one is the infection. Think of that for a second. It totally is. Because your, your preachers and your priests and your church tells you, you know, do this. Right? Do that. You must do this. But what did God tell you? He said, it's already been done, dude. 
It's done. It's finished. He doesn't tell you to do anything. He's like, it has been done. Now, if you see God as a parent, you would understand that. You have to think of him as your father, and you would understand that. You know, the construct of what religion does is enslaves people. They say, slave, you must be a slave. You must serve. What did Jesus say? He called you son. He called you daughter. Religion put shackles on you. And what was Jesus doing? What does God do in all of them, in all the prophets for, for other religions? What has he done? He never puts shackles on you and tells you this. He sets you free. Religion makes you blind and Jesus helps you see. That's what makes God and religion two different teams. Religion is where, you know, you are looking for God, right? But in fact, God's always looking for you. He's always wanting you to get back to him. So salvation is yours, right? If you want to be saved, you can redeem yourself. Forgiveness is on you if you're going to redeem yourself. Not based on your efforts, but in your parents' eyes to see that. Because you have to remember that they put Jesus on a cross. They had him wear a crown of thorns. They stabbed him so they can make it faster. When he was thirsty, they gave him vinegar to drink. He was dripping in blood down his face and he took it all in. And while they were killing him, he was like, forgive them. They don't know what he's doing. They don't know what they're doing. And he engulfed all the sins inside, right? And then he parked it for you. He took it with his last breath. He took that. Because people don't know what they're doing. They don't see the bigger picture. So while he was on that cross dying, he was thinking of you. Just you. Not himself, just you. This is why I'm totally resentful right now for what they're doing. Because for them to be preaching on all these things, I and mean, I'm speaking for Christianity first, right, here. Jesus died on the cross, right, and said, it is finished. And he meant it. He meant it. And I know he meant it. See, if I was, if I was a parent to this world, entrusted or babysitter, I would tell you how I would see this world. If you were to look at me in the eyes, you could see just how sad I would be if I'm supposed to be taking care of all these humans. And I would show you the earth in my hand while I look at you in complete disappointment and torch it. And as the ashes of that earth dissipate in the wind, souls will be caught 
in that hand. And we snatch back because I came to take what's mine. The good. It's, it's so sad that people don't realize what a disappointment it is to see people act the way they do. And I think it's important because a lot of people call it uh, the, 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 the whole thing of determination, determinism and free will and causation, which all will come back into, believe it or not, the things that we are going to be pushing forward within the courts. In every religion, there are some great, great things. You know, there was, um, what was the, the imam's name? Imam uh, Atahawi, right? He tried to explain causality, right? The Muslims, you know, imam. And, uh, you know, someone was like, do we have free will or does God determine everything, right? And this is, I think this is the best way to explain the reality construct, because it's not just Christianity that gives answers. Remember what I have said to you before. If the Egyptians were by a lake, they wouldn't have a river God. They would have had a lake God. Take that and understand that when there's a fixated type entity. I can only say that much, but I want you to understand the difference. And, and this was, I think it was the most wisest demonstration of understanding how God works. And this came from a Muslim imam. And what he said to the guy was like, so you're asking me if God determines everything or if I have pure and unequivocal free will. He says, okay, lift your right leg and keep it lifted. The guy lifts his leg. He says, now lift the other one. And the guy was like, I can't do that. I'm going to fall. See, you have the free will to lift your other leg as well, but you won't do it because this reality tells you that you will fall. So in essence, there is free will, but there's consequences in every act that we do. Nothing is predetermined. I, I will, you will probably see today how people are like, well, there's some, you know, determinism and something's fixed. Every single action anyone takes has an effect. There is no predetermination. Now, will that effect that someone will do in China, for example, affect me? or you. Yes. But will that ripple effect of action determine the outcome for me? Not so much. Because what we need to understand is that love thy neighbor is not like a phrase that you piss in the wind, right? Love thy neighbor is to understand that your reality is perceived by you, but also shared by another. And if you and others share the same reality construct, anything is possible. Could you imagine if you had like a best friend when you were a kid? There's some kids that had imaginary friends. I've never had one, right? <laughs> and my kids never did. But could you imagine having a best friend that saw your imaginary friend? Damn, mind blown. But that's where you build your own reality construct and you are able to live in that construct. So everything is connected but not so much ironclad because that doesn't mean that you can't be, it doesn't, if everything was connected, let's put it this way. And reality, the reality that everybody else experiences influence yours at a hundred percent, then you'd be just as stupid or just as smart as the person next to you. That's not how it works. 
So it's all a shared. It's like, um, you remember when you used to, when you were learning math about number sets and how they overlap. So picture two circles that overlap. That overlap area is where your reality construct is shared. That doesn't include your, you know, love, hate, experiences. It only does when the circles are closer because you're in proximity or you share common things or you're in the same environment, kind of, um, you know, just think of it as a, like a Venn diagram, you know, that you used to do in school. So think of it like that. That is how your reality works. So this construct created by billions of atoms resonating at one freaking frequency that's individual to each one in order to maintain their shape and form in your reality construct. Now, could you imagine if they resonated at the same height? Shit, that Venn diagram would be changing real quick, really quick. And if all the people that were in that reality construct and shared it, shared one of optimism and love and unity, and progress, and respecting individuality. Oh boy. Oh boy. Suddenly everything goes away. But unfortunately, we are not at that level yet. And it is going to be a very long time before mankind does. You are at the beginning. This is where your story has begun. And I wanted to share something that someone brought up and I guess, you know, they brought it up because that's the way it was supposed to be. Right. <laughs> but it was quite fascinating to reread an article that I wrote in 2016. And I know a lot of people are like, yeah, Tori, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You just came out and you're just spewing things. You know, you're not this, you don't know this. And it's like, well, I mean, how many times does something have to happen before it's no longer a coincidence? I mean, it's almost mathematically impossible. So for those of you that are not tech friendly, don't know how to follow things, because I know there's a lot of people that um, don't know how to use the internet that listen to me, and they're in other countries that don't have access and don't want to access this because of the tracers. I wanted to read it to you. This was published on October 11, 2016. During the presidential, it's titled Our Civilized Revolution. During the presidential elections of 2016, we have seen a wave of information unearthing in regards to the inner working of the government. The government is composed of individuals we the people appoint. We decide by vote whom is able to project and represent our wants, needs, and objections as a nation. With the beginning of 2016 electoral campaigns, and since 2010 after President Obama was appointed, a lot of questions and concerns to the welfare of the people in a fiscal, physical, and collective sense has come to question. Are the people that are appointed to represent us do so effectively? There have been mass waves of movements calling for impeachment, treason, non-serving policies expressed by many citizens, mostly ignored, even though they have been substantiated, but dismissed from the public eye by way of mainstream media. In this age of information, it is extremely difficult to silence such information as access to it is unlimited and widely available. As the people of this nation founded on principles that give the people the voice to control their government, it is not the case. Our constitution, 
we, the people, is simply a paper that is not respected, exercised, or acknowledged. In the Constitution, it is written that the people of our nation shall have the right to remove, add, or overthrow any government official that is not serving their purpose or is in breach of their obligation to us. Though laws have been implemented since our Constitution has been in place, denouncing such rights, which in themselves are unconstitutional. Aside from where I personally stand during this election, let's talk about things subjectively, in front of our own eyes, even with the attempt of the mainstream media and collusion with the government. We have been able to witness to in indisputable facts that our government is working against our needs and not holding these persons we appoint to the same standard as every citizen. Huh? Going theme today, isn't it, guys? Right? I mean, right? We must keep in mind that one in office, either that be president, senate, or other government positions, is under federal law are disallowed to utilize their government position for intimidation and thus abuse their power to enjoy or benefit a situation. In turn, they are actually informally considered to be held at a higher standard because that government servant is an elected person by the collection of citizens giving them the right of appointment. We have seen collusion deteriorating transparency, efficacy, and adherence to our foundations as a nation. And it has been inching into the light for over 25 years. Though from 2001 and onwards, the dismay of citizens in the United States has grown by the way of disruption, increased infringement of privacy and security, increasing crime and retaliation to small battles as the war is being depicted as one that the people cannot win. I remind you the phrase that is in fact pertinent to our current nation state. We are many. They are few. I would like to visit an excerpt from the Declaration of Independence signed in 1776 by our founding fathers. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, that wherever any form of government becomes destructive, of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. In that text, we realize that we, each and every one of us, has the right to throw off such government, 
Have we been victim to a long train of abuses and usurpation? The answer, without a doubt, is yes. We, the people of the United States, have been victims to a long train of abuses and usurpation. What can we do about it? A lot of people considered the act of overthrowing the government is a recipe for chaos. Indeed, this can be the case, but does not necessarily have to. If we observe our laws, U.S. Code Title 18, advocating overthrow of government is the first instance of usurpation by our appointed representatives. How can a law be created that refutes the very foundations of our country? Simply put, this law cannot be upheld, but is in place to intimidate. Realize that intimidation is the first step to disarming a populace. If we remember correctly, the Boston Tea Party was in part, and in more simplified terms, done to oppose the imposition of a small 3% tax on tea that was already paid for. Though today we find ourselves as the, as the heaviest tax nation, to the point that the taxation can be considered malicious to the citizen. A private citizen can be taxed up to 50% of their income, assets, and is castrated in ways and avenues to dispute, refute such taxation. We all know that the reason our founding fathers came to the United States was because of tax, taxation and monarchic rule. As far back as history allows, the one despotic government would take from its citizens money, goods, and even human labor at its discretion for the greater good, dismissing any rights to the individual to dispute or contest as the response was death or imprisonment. It's now 2016 and soldiers or taxmen of the queen, king, pharaoh, or chief no longer exist, as illustrated by historians, or do they? The tax mercenaries have come under different forms, masked as obligations that are unlawful, but imposed by fear and or common consent. Before we are even allowed to receive our pay for work, we have done, we are already taxed. They don't knock on your door demanding it. After a year long of taxation, we've been told and convinced that we must file tax returns, which are filed via our internal revenue service. But the taxes collected or refunds dispersed are done by the Federal Reserve. A simple notation here and point to be made. Nowhere in our laws does it state that we must file an annual return unless we are a government servant or employee in any way. In addition, the monies of the Federal Reserve are not public funds. The Federal Reserve is a privately owned bank that provides the illusion that it is government owned and operated, even though it's not. It's owned by individuals. You can shout that this is untrue, but I urge you to utilize access to information while you still can and fact check me. Almost like I knew that was coming, guys, right? I'm just saying. Furthermore, aside from fiscal violations our nation imposes on us citizens, it goes further to impose esoteric and physical impositions by way of conditioning the citizens to abide. As stated by Hillary Clinton's rhetoric, to those interests our government serves that are not ours, to produce an unaware and compliant citizenry. This is you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, I wasn't sharing it. Let me share it. This is something I wrote in 2016. It's not like I'm making this up. I wrote this in 2016. Okay. 2016. 
This statement should send shivers down your spine. We have been fortunate enough to be allowed to see exactly what those in powers are doing, intend to do, and how they're doing it due to the fact that we have access to information accessible by means purported as illegal, but in essence, transparency is essential to democracy. So is it really illegal? (sighs) Secrecy is determined on a basis of national security. This is why the email scandal Mrs. Clinton is facing is so important. They weren't just emails. Those emails were government property. Those emails by law should be made available to the government in order to maintain transparency of all elected and appointed individuals. She was enacting, because she had been unemployed for years now, as a government servant and transparency of communications, gains and actions of our appointed officials is key to ensure that their authority we have invested in them for our interests is for our interests, not others. Though, fortunately, the communications were salvaged by person whom for years have discerned that indeed our government has a long train of abuses and usurpation. They exercise their right set forth by the Declaration of Independence to collect evidence, distribute evidence to prove such a situation in order to be lawfully questioning, probing, and attempting discernment in these collective actions Call the people to replace the government. I mean, I tried, okay? I really tried. Evidently, during the campaigns for the presidential elections in 2016, a lot of collusion, corruption, and usurpations have been unearthed. Many citizens have voiced their opinion by way of social media, as the mainstream media disallows such questioning, which leads to the final point. The federal government has a long train of abuse, usurpations, and in addition has taken hold of our journalists, entertainment, and local government, which by definition depicts a despotic government. We have seen this in our history books describing the governments of empires of then, which sound exactly like the one of the now, but this one has computers, social media, and other modes of intimidation. Is this article calling out for a revolution? No, it's not. If it were, it would be constitutionally legal, but illegal at the same time. By which, if I was arrested and locked away, a constitutional hearing would render the charges null and void. It is known a newer law cannot contradict a foundational law, such as our Constitution. Having made that statement, this article is not calling for a revolution. I'm pointing out that we are in the midst of a revolution. And like it or not, Donald Trump is the one leading it now. When you hear people screaming and shouting, this is our last chance, they are not wrong. This long train of abuse and usurpations that have been entrenched in our everyday lifestyle for decades, there is a turning point for everything. One extra cookie is a simple threshold to gain that one extra pound. This is the cookie, our elections. We cannot allow this to continue. We are citizens of the United States. We are not subjects. We have a voice. We have a choice regardless of what the mainstream media, government, and other influential lobbies have to say. We are those that appoint, anoint, and allow those in office to act. When we see that they have taken away the right of voting from us, disregard for the populist voice, We must sit back and think. They are bullying us with unlawful laws, 
restrictions, mainstream media, advertising, and mass propaganda on all fronts to destroy our very foundations. Democratic voters were denied the right to appoint their representative, Bernie Sanders. They were outraged but pacified by their media and their leader of the revolution was castrated by bowing down to a woman who demands to bring people to heal. It is important that we realize evolution has been brewing for the past four decades. And 2001 was the turning point with questionable terrorist attack that evidently in 2016 exhumed more of its corrupt collusion in our government and those that were deemed tinfoil hat armies were right. The simple action of our president to disallow legal avenues to victims to request fiscal damages and responsibility by the alleged terrorist funding country in this action by way of veto was the last straw. Those appointed in Congress and House override the veto within 24 hours, which is unheard of. In a silent but loud voice to the people telling us we have the power to stop the corruption, the corruption, lack of transparency and subjection. It was their subtle way of saying, help us help you. Donald J. Trump is leading the revolution without calling it a revolution. He is exactly what our founding fathers envisioned to be. A man of the people, by the people. Yes, he is wealthy and has anything his heart desires at his disposal, but that, but that does not mean he cannot relate. Remember, this man who employs people supports our economy. Thus, even though he is not affected by the harsh economy because, in essence, the middle class takes on the suffrage, he can relate because the suffrage is reflected in his sales and profits. He is rough around the edges, arrogant sometimes, which is a bad trait some persons depict who are affluent. Mark Cuban is affluent. Is he not arrogant? An average Joe would say, yes, Steve Jobs was affluent. He was arrogant to the average Joe, too. But it isn't arrogance or to the working or less affluent people those with riches have. It's the inability to convey their thoughts in non-abrupt manners. Time is money. On the other hand, Hillary Clinton confidants in an email dated April 19, 2015, clearly state her distaste for everyday American, a.k.a. average Joe, whereas her opponent, Donald Trump, constantly says how much he loves people like cab drivers, builders, baristas, etc., this is why the American nation loves him. Donald J. Trump is not part of the establishment that for decades has abused its power for a share that we the people are not aware of. Some say it's globalization and to become one huge country globally. Others say it's to depopulate and conquer so many theories that have been dubbed with tinfoil hats. But let's talk facts. Facts. Our government creating hostile situations with countries without consent of the populace. They're taxing us far beyond what is considered collective contribution, fair share tax. We are actually paying what would be described as a mandatory subject fee. They have taken our right to vote away from us. They have created laws that create the illusion that our constitution is no longer valid. They have, they're telling us they are funding social security but in essence, they owe money to the Social Security Fund. Social Security was by way to establish budget when you are over 65, but health costs increase, which make Social Security null and void. We are, as Bernie Sanders said today, citizens 
Today, citizens are part of the revolutions. Revolutions don't come in red coats and arms blazing because technology has taught us more civil ways of banter and war. World War II was war with tanks. World War III is war on banks. They own us. They drive our policies, our actions, and our geopolitical stance. You are part of this revolution, even in a passive manner. The point is, can you see it? We are many, they are few. We have the chance to take back our country by a man who is a citizen, not groomed, French in the interests that have abused and served us for decades. This is our moment to say enough is enough without war and without bloodshed. If we do not take advantage of this last point before pivot, the next revolution will find us bearing arms and carnage when people finally feel the oppression that they have been enduring for decades peak. Look at what is important for a country's future. Do you envision a country that spans the Americas with open borders, mandated security checks, erasing the privacy, erasing of any privacy left to us and possibly destruction due to nuclear war? Or do you envision a country that has a new industrial revolution peaking its economy and growing parallel and suppressing those nations around us, flying our star-spangled banner without destroying our very foundations and avoiding unnecessary wars due to IMF and World Trade Organization conflicts. It's your choice, America. I'm sure that many leaders of revolutions were not Boy Scouts, were not pleasing to the eye. But think, if a person like me or you attempted to run for president, who was an average Joe, with no pockets lined, would they become president? The answer is no. Thus, this is the only non-interest-driven candidate we have seen. Donald J. Trump is the last drop before the cup overflows. Then the only way to win back our country in the future will be with a rebellion. And as we know, history repeats itself and teaches us that indeed this is the turning point. During the second presidential debate, Donald Trump asked Hillary Clinton, with the millions of dollars you make, why not contribute your own money to your into your campaign so that way that is one more interest you don't have to do something for. I don't take money. So that way I don't do what the people want, not the money that paid. I do what the people want, not what the money, the, what the, I can't even read today. Not what the money that paid me wants. Imagine if Clinton is elected. Here's where I time travel for you. Over 30 years, she says things that she brings to fruition. Why appoint someone who has disregard for your needs and wants for 30 years? What makes you think that they will change now? She has utilized her positions held in government to mass amass a fortune. Keep in mind, she's not employed and yet amasses $250 million in income yearly by the way of donations to her by interest, both foreign and domestic. This means that she has everything to lose during these elections. She has no job. She needs one. This money she received was in order to secure her the job as president of the United States. Hillary Clinton is just empty promises to the people she despises and calls peasants to get the job as president by way of manipulating mass media, FBI, DOJ, and even voter fraud to secure her position. And George Soros said, it doesn't matter if Donald Trump has all the populist vote. Hillary Clinton will become president. It has been decided. He said that in September of 2016. Guess what I said? Fuck you. Watch me. 
Here are what her plans are based on her speeches, leaks, and slip-ups. She opens our borders. Mexico, Canada, and USA become one country called the North American Union as Obama presented a few months ago in a scramble response due to Brexit. Don't take my word for it. Do your homework. This isn't a conspiracy. It's fact. Like we've seen, the mainstream media has a strong field our news. Further actions in Hillary plans is mandating RFID chipping to monitor all citizens and mandates for mass vaccinations of unknown content. Declaring war on Russia, which she has inched in the debate committing and arming rebels of Syria, a.k.a. ISIS, nuclear war monitoring, tag like animals, abiding by her rules. I thought we were free. I thought we the people are in charge. We will see outbursts like those of Ferguson and worse popping up in the near future, revolting against our despotic government. We will revolt when enough is enough, but why wait for that? I was to warn everyone of what was coming. I obviously did take it to my hands to get it done because there was no fucking way I'd let George Soros. That motherfucker met me face to fucking face in 2000. He knows exactly who I am. And what I am. He knows exactly. So having said that, that's from 2016. That is from 2016. So think if I knew all these things a while back and everything that I've said in advance, then how do I say that there's no predetermination and that there is free will? This is a very fair question. If I've told you what's happening, and I already know what's happening and I know what's coming. How do I know that you still have free will? And that is what we need to understand because today I, I wanted to start talking about usurpation, right? Cause that's important. You've probably heard it's called when the federal does uh, government does something out of its constitutional authority. It's an act of usurpation today. Are we not at that point? But let me, let's break down what the actual meaning is of usurpation in legal terms. Usurpation is the unlawful seizure or assumption of sovereign power. So who has sovereignty over your body, you or the government? Think about it. I want you to think about that for a second. You or the government. This is what it means. Who has sovereign power? And they have stolen or assumed sovereign power over your own bodies. Basically, the government has stolen power that does not belong to it. Think of it like this. If the federal government doesn't actually own actually any power of its own, the people of the states that are sovereign ultimately possess all legitimate political authority, right? Through the Constitution, we formed a union, and we delegated a few powers as states and to a general government, and we kept the rest of the rights to ourselves or our state governments. So when the federal government does something outside of what they're authorized to do, it's unlawfully stealing power that doesn't belong to it. That's called usurpation. So if the feds steal power from the people, it's an unconstitutional act. 
as the founders referred to it, the federal government is committing an act of usurpation if that's done. In the early 1800s, St. George Tucker wrote the first systematic commentary of the Constitution. His work served as one of the primary handbooks for American law students, lawyers, jurists, judges, statesmen through the first half of the 19th century. Where the fuck is that book now? Did everybody get amnesia or did they introduce some form of legal CRT to all these fuckers out there that are practicing law? He used a pretty harsh word for unconstitutional federal action. And that word is usurpation, the theft of power, treason, usurpation, stealing power is treason. That was the book, the Bible that every fucking person who practiced law in our nation read. Why is nobody working looking at St. George Tucker's book? Huh? Why? It's treason. In his essay, he said on the several forms of government, if a limited government, the public functionary, if, if in a limited government, the public functionaries exceed the limit which the constitution prescribes to their powers, every such act is an act of usurpation in the government and as such treason against the sovereignty of the people, which is thus endeavored to be subverted and transferred to the usurpers who is usurping your sovereignty. They have taken, this is how you win. Everyone keeps saying it's unconstitutional. It's this. No, it's fucking foundational. And every damn fucking lawyer filing these cases. And I'm so angry because I'm not an attorney. You know, he gave me so many damn hats, like seriously, right? This is like so frustrating to be able to call, call this out. Like, <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> Sorry. It's like my brain is filled with a lot of information. For example, I'm going to take a hiatus here because I was getting really riled up and upset. Um, I was at a meeting and the lady, um, I was like, she gave me her last name and she said her name was Pupa. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. It's Italian. She goes, actually, I'm Polish. I was like, um, no, that's Italian. It's actually Northern Italian. And you know what? In the early 1300s, the Poles, uh, the Northern Italians actually um, escaped toward the North and they settled in Poland. So that's where it came out. She's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I researched, how, how did you know that? And it was like, yeah. So <laughs> a fun fact, I'm like Google. So it was, I was at that one, you know, point where, you know, my, my superpower was showing like, you know, it's like Google in here. It's like Google. So this is where I'm like Google, like, uh, can someone put out St. George Tucker's book and just throw it at the judge and say, Hey, I don't know if you missed this shit in school, but this used to be the Bible for every motherfucker start reading it. So, you know, I'm actually thinking for Christmas to fucking get a bunch of those books on eBay, put a pretty bow on it and send it as a fucking present to every motherfucking judge that I'm encountering and SCOTUS. Because it's so frustrating to see treason. And I've never used that word so upsettingly, right? But it's like, I'm telling you, every single case that's being filed right now, because people are getting fired, will fail because the citizens are filing it. Because the government can't tell a business what the fuck to do. And the government can't tell the business, well, you know, you're obliged to, you know, OSHA shouldn't stand. I mean, if the judges want to be nice, they could say causation, right? They could use the causation and effect, right? What is causation? 
right? We could go into that legal jargon right there, understanding causation. What is causation? Causation, causation. Everybody uses that term in criminal law and every, but it's basically any action or inaction that can set off a chain of events into motion. So action, the person pretending to be president right now um, had the person that was on the Zoom call calling for a federal coup before the 2020 elections, who was senior counsel at the Labor Department, craft some bullshit thing that they're going to be find, finding businesses for not forcing people to get the vaccine. So that's that's a chain of events that fucking happen. So if an action or inaction results in a person getting hurt, that person can follow civil suit basically and what's your hurt i can't get a job i'm getting fired i worked there 20 years or two hours or a day or i didn't get the fucking job because i'm not getting the vax those are all causations right that stem from one freaking place right so that is one avenue because you only have to prove causation by showing that the defendant was the cause of the harm now is my employer the cause of the harm no my, the defendant in my case, if I was the nurse filing the case, it would be OSHA because OSHA told me to do it. And it's like, no, she did it. OSHA did it. Pointing the finger. And it's like, okay, well, OSHA, you're not suing OSHA. You're suing your employer. So you're fucked. So you're suing OSHA and OSHA is going to be like, well, I just make the rules. It's up to your company to fucking follow the rules. And then you're like, oh, so I should sue my company. Okay. Company, you shouldn't follow the rules, but OSHA. And it's like, all right, what the fuck is going on here? Ping pong, ping pong. Every case is going to fail. They're doing it wrong. And I'm so upset. Like every person that I'm talking to, I'm like, dude, they're giving people false hope with this fucking district five thing. I'm so pissed because people cannot stand back and see things. They need to step back and look down, step back and look down at the bigger picture. The more you're hyper-focused and you're in the fucking woods, you can't see all the trees. All you see is tree bark. Fucking step out, fly up, float, and look at the whole situation. It's not working like this. Everything that they have been doing is a violation. Everything that has been done is complete treason. And then we have people saying the New York Times just leak like things from, you know, James O'Keefe's shit. And it's like, when are you going to realize that the New York Times is government funded? They're fucking an extension of the intelligence agency. Hello? Hello? An extension of the intelligence agency. These motherfuckers printed an anonymous op-ed, which isn't anonymous. It was the Joint Chiefs of fucking staff. They should be on trial, court-martialed for that fucking shit. The president is their CO. They should be court-martialed. Yet no one, no one is putting them on trial. No one is calling out that these motherfuckers wrote an op-ed and they colluded. Rosenstein was in on it. Pence was fucking in on it. Fuck everybody was in on it. And they sent that shit and nobody got the document to see who wrote it. Shit. I got the fucking document and I know which motherfucker had it. And they'll lie to your face. You don't believe it here. Watch them lie. Watch them lie. So now you're going to watch the deposition of the New York times editor, right? That, um, uh, James Bennett, how he failed to consider how readers would take something, right? He said, oh, I made a mistake. I'm supposed to think about what readers are going to do. Oops, I fucked up. So he admitted it. And then when he was questioned about it, he lied and said, no, I didn't say that. And it's like, bitch, you're on tape. I got the deposition. What the fuck? The lie to your face. Because they're all fucking assets. 
There is no free media. Get it? No one's going to cover for your ass. Get it? No one. They're all owned. You're, you're, you're in the fucking Truman show. Okay. I don't know how else to explain it. I'm so pissed today. It's not even funny. It's not even funny. I know that the agents that watch my shit are probably pulling their hair out. Oh, you know what? I'm not even going to show you the James O'Keefe thing. I want to tell you about something. You want to see how they fucked us up? You want to see how they fucked us up? Okay. Let me show you this report. So when I was in Washington, I, um, I went to, um, you know, I was talking to people and I told them it was very important if they wanted to find out about China, what they needed to do, right? There was a certain guy. I wrote about him at Big League Politics. His name was Jerry Lee, right? And no one has read his fucking indictment when they arrested him. And I was so pissed. And I actually gave the name to Joe Flynn. I was like, we need to find this guy, Leavenworth. He will give you everything. Instead, here's what happened. And this is from October. And I, this is where I get simmering anger. So right now, the anger, the righteous indignation you hear is pretty tapered down, right? Pretty tapered down. It would have been worse if I talked about it when this happened. So I want you guys to see this report. Here we go. The shadows operate in obscurity and deceive for a living. Risk your life daily and no one even gets to know. Everything you do is secretive, but what if those secrets get spilled? Or what if the spy becomes a double agent? These are questions that the CIA is currently dealing with. America's Central Intelligence Agency is losing a troubling number of informants and spies, and they're apparently being captured, killed, and compromised. So how does the CIA plan to deal with this? Our next report has more. CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, America's first line of defense and the reason behind its supremacy. The CIA maintains America's position as a superpower. It works to eliminate all threats to its global hegemony, but this empire of information is now facing an existential threat. It's losing informants around the world. This is not a revelation. It's an admission. The American media claims to have accessed a top-secret cable, which was sent to CIA stations around the world. What does the cable say? A troubling number of CIA recruits and informants are being captured, killed, or compromised. They're being hunted down by adversaries or being turned into double agents. Who are these adversaries? No names have been given. But the CIA considers the intelligence agencies of Russia, China, Iran, and Pakistan as the prime suspects. How exactly are they dismantling the CIA's network? by exploiting its weaknesses. The biggest weakness is placing mission over security, an approach that prioritizes the ends over the means. The cable claims this policy has created a number of challenges that have plagued the agency in recent years, like poor tradecraft or being too trusting of sources, underestimating foreign intel agencies, moving too quickly to recruit informants and not paying enough attention to potential counterintelligence risks. All these challenges combined are compromising the CIA's capabilities. They also demonstrate the growing prowess of its enemies, which the cable claims have begun mirroring the CIA's techniques. They're said to have aced the same innovations, like biometric scans, facial recognition, artificial intelligence, and hacking tools to track the movement of spies, especially those at the front line. Reports say the warning was primarily aimed at frontline operatives, the people involved in recruiting and vetting of sources, the ones building networks of trusted human informants, 
The cable has asked them to be more alert in future recruitments and to not underestimate their adversaries at any cost. Former CIA officials say adversaries sitting in Pakistan pose the biggest challenge. They've apparently been the most effective in turning informants into double agents. Pakistan has a record of discovering and breaking the CIA's networks. Time and again, it has arrested Pakistani informants who fed information to the CIA. Now, with America having withdrawn from Afghanistan, the CIA is reportedly finding it even tougher to communicate with its informants in Pakistan. And sustaining a strong network of informants is more important than ever. The CIA has declined to comment on the matter. So I'll comment on the matter. Let me show you. So I hate the fact that my married name is on there. But 2018, the article, John Brennan's former operatives are being picked off the grid. So I was talking about, um, I'm going to read it for those that um, are listening. John Brennan was Asia Pacific specialist spanning China, the Korean Peninsula and out to the shores of Hawaii before Barack Hussein Obama made him DNI. I said if APAC. He was stomping around because he became CIA too, but he was in the DNI, just making it clear. He was stomping, his stomping ground was obviously handled the Middle East. On January 14th, 2018, at about 3.05 a.m. local Hong Kong time, a man named Jerry Lee was prompted to fly out to the United States from Hong Kong. Let me tell you about Jerry Lee, all right? Jerry Lee was a CIA agent. He worked for the CIA and then left. This is a guy that was coming to give our administration information on China. Just listen to what Brennan's people did. Jerry Lee was John Brennan's right-hand man, handler for APAC, a former intelligence analyst that worked with Jerry, said, Lee is a great guy. As a handler, he was forthcoming, straight, to the point, and guided his assets every step of the way. According to a very odd and questionable affidavit, let's see the affidavit. Here, here's the one that was under seal. Hold on. People don't click links and read. I'm going to Kelly O'Brien, by the way, FBI. She's actually CIA special agent with FBI has been since 1999. I know her actually quite well, her work. She was assigned to the Washington field office, worked in the criminal division uh, till 2007 and 2007. So weird that date. She became counterintelligence division, you know, same one that like Peter Strzok was right. So she has training, blah, 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 blah. Definitions, blah, 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 blah. Probable cause. Listen to this. Lee is a 53-year-old former case officer for the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, currently residing in Hong Kong and employed overseas. He's a naturalized United States citizen. Lee served in the U.S. Army from 1982 to 1986. Lee graduated from Hawaii Pacific University in 1992 with a bachelor's degree in international business management and in 1993 received a master's degree in human resource management. Something you guys should know, Lee's family was actually terrified of the communists, okay? Terrified of the communists. Lee entered the CIA in 1994. As a case officer, Lee was trained in methods of covert communication, surveillance detection, recruitment of assets, handling assets, payment of assets, operational security, and documenting, handling, and securing classified material. In the course of Lee's employment, he served in various overseas positions and locations, which all required a top secret clearance. 
Lee's U.S. government security clearances. As required for various CIA assignments in 1994, Lee first obtained his top secret clearance, which was active throughout his career with the CIA. Lee's security clearance was terminated in 2005 when he left government office. Funny how every other motherfucker, like Brennan and all of them, that leave office don't lose their security. Next. In addition to Lee's top secret clearance contains sensitive compartmented information, SCI, access to various sensitive programs. To obtain access to these programs, Lee was required to receive and did receive numerous security clearance briefs during his employment. To acquire security clearance, Lee signed a lifetime binding non-disclosure agreement, agreement, Government Form 368, on September 16, 1994. This form in part read, I understand, blah, 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 that I won't talk shit, blah, 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 that I won't tell anyone, blah, blah, blah. Here's another NDA. Here's what happened. Now listen to this and tell me what stinks. Remember, this is Brennan's operation under Trump's administration. Trump had no idea this shit was going. He's not going to question it. Pay attention. On or about August 10th, 2012, Lee and his family departed Hong Kong and transited back to the United States to live in Northern Virginia. While transiting back to the United States, Lee and his family had a layover in Honolulu, Hawaii for several days. On or about August 11th, 2012, surveillance team observed Lee staying at a hotel in Honolulu. Okay, this is 2012, right? Lee checked into and stayed at a hotel from August 11th, 2012 through August 14th, 2012, according to records provided to the FBI by the hotel. So, they say the records from the hotel say he stayed there from August 11th to August 14th, right? On August 13th, a court authorized, so they got the records from the hotel saying that he had already stayed, listen, but then on August 13th, they got a court authorized search of Lee's Honolulu hotel room and luggage. Wait, photographs were taken documenting items in Lee's possession. So first funny thing, how do you get information from the hotel later, but get a warrant, a secret warrant to go and search his shit and take pictures of his shit before his stay was up? Go figure, right? On August 15th, 2012, um, Lee and his family arrived in Virginia and checked into a hotel in Fairfax, Virginia, within the Eastern District of Virginia, you know, where all the spooks stay. On August 15, 2012, a court-authorized search of Lee's hotel room was conducted. So again, they got a secret subpoena and went back into his hotel. Items in Lee's possessions were photographed. The government's investigation determined that Lee was in unauthorized possession of materials relating to the national defense during his hotel stays in Hawaii and Virginia. A review of photographs taken during the August 13, 2012 search in Hawaii and the August 15, 2012 search in Virginia revealed that during his stay in both hotels, Lee possessed two small books, the books, best described as a date book and address book. Each book contained handwritten notes. During both searches, the books were located inside Lee's luggage in a small, clear travel pack. The photographs of the books were reviewed by the CIA Classification Authority, who determined that the books contained classified information. The date book contained approximately 49 pages. Only pages with writing were photographed. The date book contained handwritten information pertaining to, but not limited to, operational notes from asset meetings, operational meeting locations, operational phone numbers, true names of assets, and covert facilities. The address book 
contained approximately 21 pages. The address book contained true names and phone numbers of assets and covert CIA employees, as well as the address of CIA facilities. The CIA classification authority determined that the books contained classified information up to and including secret information. In at least one instance, top secret information, the disclosure of which could cause exceptionally grave damage to national security of the United States. As damaging as the shit that Hillary Clinton put out? I don't think so, but mm, classified cables that Lee wrote when he was a case officer, which describe his interactions with assets and information he learned from those meetings and from which he was derivative classification authority contain much of the information reflected in this book. Based upon court authorization search on August 15th, 2012, Lee remained in possession of these two books from Hawaii to Northern Virginia. So basically, he landed in Honolulu. They secretly checked all the shit, took pictures, right? And then again, when he le- then he left Honolulu, went to Virginia, they checked all the shit, it was there. So then from August 15, 2012 till June 6, 2013, Lee resided in Northern Virginia area before he returned uh, before he returned to the United States throughout his residence in Northern Virginia, Lee met with former colleagues from the CIA and other government employees and remained in contact with an individual. Obviously, you make friends when you're in there so long. Duh. Um, Lee never surrendered or returned the books to appropriate U.S. government officials as required under the NDA sign, nor in communications with former CIA colleagues and other U.S. government officials did he mention he was in possession of the book. Additionally, Lee was interviewed by FBI agents on five separate occasions in or about May and June of 2013 and never suggested he possessed book. Now, when they say this in a statement, I'm going to tell you what that means. That means guys that work for the FBI were just chatting with them and they had lunch <laughs> and he never mentioned them, right? So guess what happened? Having unauthorized, so they're charging me, they're charging him with all, you know, having these books and he's in violation. Now here's what happened, okay? This guy was never arrested. They knew he had all that shit for months. And then he left and went back to fucking Hong Kong with the books. So they were so terrified, had so much national defense material in there that in 2013, his fucking ass left, right? With all this classified information, right? So he left in June of 2013, didn't tell anyone he had those books. They knew he had the books, right? They knew he had the books since 2012. So he was here for a whole year. They knew he had the books and then he left, right? He totally left. And then five years later in 2018, he's coming to New York, right? He's coming to New York without his family. He's coming to New York and he is coming to New York to spill the beans on fucking China. And they know he's coming. They fucking arrest him on in January of 2018. They got the fucking warrant right then and there, as he was flying from Hong Kong. By the time he got to Germany to take his handover flight, I think it was Germany or Amsterdam, whatever, to come over, they had already had the warrant. They were waiting for him to land. Now, here's where it gets really good. Remember what Chuck Schumer said? They got six ways to Sunday. This is what they did. The guy came to spill the whole fucking beans on everything. They arrested him. They threw him in jail. And then... They leak the information. Oh, what? They leak the fucking information. Because if they can deteriorate the CIA of President Donald J. Trump, they win. Listen to this report. 
Damn it. I did the wrong one. It's the one with the words, but I'll read it and put it lower on music. So the breach exposed the CIA's networks in Iran and China. CIA has admitted that a number of its informants recruited in China and Iran have either been executed or compromised. A breach of the CIA's classified communications has reportedly exposed the identity of U.S. spies. Former CIA officials say that the agency focused only on the mission and not the security, which led to the consequences. Bullshit. Some CIA agents were tracked down by enemy agencies and turned into double agents working against the U.S. More bullshit. Monica Alfredi Witt, a former Air Force sergeant turned CIA informant, had defected to Iran. She was later indicted on a charge for providing information to Tehran in 2019. Jerry Lee, another CIA spy, was sentenced to 19 years for providing secrets to the Chinese government. Bull fucking shit. That's bullshit. Information shared by Lee with Beijing was used to arrest and execute at least 20 CIA agents in China. No, no, no. Let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you what they did. They gave the names and they executed all the spies so that China would help them win the 2020 elections. Do you understand what they did? Do you understand what they did? The U.S. intelligence agency has temporarily shut down human spying in China after the incident. No, that was the deal they had. That is exactly what they did. They killed all those people so that they can help the establishment get back in. They gave them the spies. This is the most atrocious thing that has ever happened in our nation. The guy came, listened to the indict, the, the, the freaking affidavit of why they arrested him. He flew in from China with these books. They photographed them in fucking Hawaii. He had them. They photographed them in fucking Virginia. He had them. They let him leave the country, right? They let him leave. Didn't give a fuck. And then five years later, because they knew that he was on Team America, he came to give it all to them. He would have thrown them all under the fucking bus. And they gave him 19 years in jail and killed all those CIA agents. That's what Brennan did. That's what this administration is doing. And this is why no one wants to join the CIA. Because they don't respect the people that work for them. And if you don't believe that, what happened in Afghanistan? How many fucking people did they leave behind to die? Same exact shit right here. They did it all to get assistance with the elections. They did it all in order to win. So I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm really angry because what did President Trump do? How the fuck is he going to know? You know, when they're going to sit and, and, and tell the president, oh, you know, he was a spy. And it's like, didn't one fucker standing next to him say, well, I'm reading this indictment. I mean, I'm sure all of you reading that indictment would be like, yeah, that kind of looks fucked up. Like if it was so bad, why didn't they arrest him before he left? Like they knew he was leaving. Right. Right. They knew he was leaving. They knew he was leaving with that information. Why didn't they arrest him before he left? Oh, they arrested him when he came back. This is so wrong. I've talked about Jerry Lee before, but it gets me so upset because there's more coming. You know, this, this, this virus was created for the vaccine, but it's kind of like cry wolf. Everyone is so over it. 15 days to slow the spread, right? And you're going to say, well, what kind of God would allow something like this to happen? It's because he's getting you ready for what's really happening. All these people that are immunocompromised, flu season is around the fucking corner. Every single thing that happens that's wrong is done so you can learn. Every failure you have is so you can, you know, take the dust off your knee and stand the fuck taller next time. 
It's about to get really, really bad before it gets better. And it really pains me that this was done. This, this report came out with leaked cables now in 2021. And I've been sitting on it for a couple weeks because it gets me that angry. They arrested him for coming to tell for shit he had, and they let him leave the country. They let him leave the country. If it was so bad, think about it, guys. Come on, let's just be common sense shit. We don't have to talk so detrimental to national defense. Then why the fuck did you let him leave the country with it if it was so bad? So he knew everything about John Brennan. He knew everything about his operations. He knew China like the back of his freaking hand. He knew everything everything and sat there five years collecting all that information so he could bring it back home. Is he in jail? Nobody knows, but he got sentenced to 19 years. Great uh, symbology. Always be their downfall. Symbology. On that note, let's just take a really quick break and look at the new video and hear the new song by Tom McDonald called Balloons. So fitting, those red balloons. I miss the days when no one even knew my name Now everywhere I feel like the love I get's outweighed by the hate I hid the tears, but I can't hide from the pain I'm working 20-hour days, can't even lie to y'all I'm burnt out, asleep on my... I miss the days when no one even knew my name Now everywhere I go, I wear a hat to hide my face I got weapons hidden inside every room in my place Now I have to keep a pistol on me always just in case This is a nightmare Never expected the fame To be something I would wrestle with and fight to embrace Sometimes I feel like the love I get's outweighed by the hate I hid the tears, but I can't hide from the pain I'm working 20-hour days, can't even lie to y'all I'm burnt out, asleep on my weight bench Trying to find the strength to work out Should be happy I'm successful I just went and bought my first house Thought money would help cure my depression But it's worse, how? I'm tired of it Lucky I don't have a manager Cause I'll be firing them Tired of talking to other artists Who just wanna tell me I'm inspiring them Parents keep telling me they have a kid And they're thankful the child is admiring me Great, wanna know how I feel? I might kill myself before retiring I'm in the clouds I can't reach the ground They're coming in crowds Blew me up like a balloon and let me go Watch me float away while I scream no Every time I get close, they pull out their phones But maybe this time we can see them explode Blew me up like a balloon and let me go They are throwing rocks cause they tryna poke holes They wanna see me pop, they don't wanna see me blow The reason that I'm gone, they don't wanna see me go Blew me up like a balloon and left me I miss the times when I could go outside I didn't have to watch my back out of the corner of my eye I didn't have to fake a smile and post for pictures all the time Can't even lie, I miss when time was really mine Now I just belong to everybody else but me These panic attacks are making it awful hard to breathe Built a vocal booth inside the crib and stopped making beats Don't even rap, I stand inside of it and scream like this is not what I expected I work my hands to the bone And my anxiety is triggered by the apps on my phone I tried deleting them so the internet would leave me alone But the lack of attention made me feel worse than before I'm sick of it all The internet watching me trip when I fall Embarrassed that everyone witnesses all My illness is in real time Man, I'm addicted to y'all Rappers on Twitter don't get me involved I'm posing for photos with fans in the mall And dying inside pretending I'm strong I'm not a celebrity, I am just tall I'm in the <laughs> I can't reach the ground. 
When every Friday wasn't spent with my therapist Then I realized I hated fame and accepted I'm scared of it I got Ativan, Ciprolex, Xanax, and Seroquel In a Tupperware container I don't touch, I just stare at them Breathing exercise is supposed to help me to cope But nothing works quite as good as a bottle of Jack and a smoke I try to focus on my breath but it gets stuck in my throat This never happened back when I was young and happy and broke I never thought I'd be the rapper all these rappers trying to be Posting 20 times a day, now I don't have no privacy Meeting with these major labels, CEOs with giant teams If y'all want to do business, why are y'all trying to lie to me? I'm bored of the fame, every time it feels fresh again, I'm getting more of the same Interviewers think they know who I am, they made up their mind before I explain Well, because you asked so nice, I guess I'll tell Ain't been feeling too hot lately, Jim, is there anything else? Great, cause lately, every day, I feel like I'm living in hell I'm glad the music helps you, but I might really kill myself when this magazine gets printed can you send one to my house i'd like to own a tiny piece of me like everybody else don't watch me float away while i scream no every time i get close they pull out their phones like maybe this time we can see them explode me up like a balloon and let me go they all throwing rocks cause they trying to poke holes they want to see me pop they don't want to see me blow the reason that i'm gone they don't want to see me go so Nova Rockefeller really outdid herself on this video. And, you know, his statements are pretty incredible and on point. I don't know if you guys saw the guy that testified um, in uh, at the Senate, was it, where he was talking about his vaccine injury and everyone harassing him and he was crying Right. And he was saying, um, you know, this is just I'm being harassed. I've never felt this attacked in my life. I'm going to be off social media. They attack you. And, I, you know, for me, I've felt that. OK, in 2017, when I decided to do what I wanted to do in October of 2017, that was it. I pulled the trigger and it was game over. Like I knew that the minute I would send that to the executive branch that there would be a target on my back and I was ready because there was nothing that was going to stop what was coming. Regardless, regardless, we were already, remember, President Trump was not elected to take power. He was elected to give it back to us. He was elected to give it back to us. And what they do is they harass you. I'll tell you, at the weakest point in my time for my personal situation, I was not even able to leave the house to go get groceries. I wanted to get milk and I was being harassed. Pages of lies attacked my, huh, like even the judicial system attacked my own children in order to get to me. I was under so much. And this is something that happens to anyone that speaks truth. But if I went through that time, in December of 2019 and came out unscathed, they could throw whatever they fucking want at me. I'll eat it for fucking a snack. 
right? They are throwing shit to the fire and that makes it roar even more. It's till you get to that point. And his song demonstrates just how evil comes at you. If it can't tempt you, right? And if it can't crush you to go back to where it wants you to or to come to it, right? It will release its demons on you. And your movement had the same attack. Your movement had the same attack. In 2020, they unleashed a virus. <laughs> no, they didn't. They released a vaccine. That is so good for you that they have to force you to fucking take it. And now everybody that takes it is dying from it. They're getting sick. And now there's a bout of infections going on, probably from all the mask wearing, right? That's what happens. Pneumonias, bronchitis. It's totally going around, totally going around. Lots of people sick. And that's the new flu. So all of you that are sick now, you're going through that flu that's going to fucking take a lot of people down coming this winter huh? during their alleged flu season. You're going to see just how quick that happens. Again, from 15 days, it's now been 18 months. And if you succumb to take the vaccine, it'll be how many more? You'll be counting every year. You must turn up and get this. Totally kind of like that movie we watched on movie night. What was it called? Arcadia, right? It was on, on uh, Amazon where all the citizens in order to live had to get a vaccine medicine, right? Huh? Every year. And if they weren't good enough citizens, they didn't get shit. And they were left to die. See, that's how it works. But the few will be saved. On that note, on that note, it's so weird how, you know, we started talking about free will and um, causation and what free will is. I think we should get into it because do you know that years ago, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little snippet of audio here that's quite old. I want you to listen to this lecture. It was by Anthony Lowenstein and about the blogging revolution going online in repressive regimes. Pay attention. Listen to this. Great. Well, thanks everyone for being with us. We are uh, really lucky uh, to have a, a friend collaborator and uh, someone that I admire a great deal, uh, Anthony Lowenstein, who is a Sydney-based uh, journalist. I'd just like to explain today's weather. We always try to be as hospitable as possible in Cambridge. You may be aware that Australia has been having major drought issues. We thought rain would be a nice change of pace, so uh, gray drizzle was about as yeah. good as we could do on this. Um, uh, Anthony is a guy who writes on a wide range of topics uh, with very little fear uh, of uh, generating discussion, controversy, uh, and debate, uh, which is a happy, happy thing and something that I suspect will be really enjoyable within the context uh, of this room. Um, someone who's uh, well known uh, for his first uh, best-selling book, uh, My Israel Question, uh, putting forward some uh, really interesting interpretations on uh, issues of Israel and Palestine, is now taking on a subject uh, near and dear to many of our hearts, 
uh, in a book called The Blogging Revolution, um, which is looking at blogging in repressive states and societies uh, and raising some really interesting questions about the roles of both professional and citizen media. So uh, I'm thrilled uh, that he can be with us today. And with that, I will shut up and turn the microphone in this direction. Thank you, Ethan. I left Sydney on Sunday, Saturday, and it was 90 degrees. So when I arrived here, it was a little bit cooler than that. You might say, hence my cold, so forgive me for that. Let me first start off by just thanking the Berkman Centre for inviting me, um, everybody involved, Emma, Ethan, etc., etc. It's an honour to be here. I wanted to do this um, informally. I want to start off by reading a short uh, piece, essay that I've written. And then I think the best thing is to have a debate rather than me just talking and preaching, which is probably fun for me, but not so good for everybody else. I thought it would be good just to engage in some of these discussions, which I think are really relevant, which don't get, in my view, enough discussion in the Western mainstream media. So allow me just to read this short piece. Internet censorship is something that only happens in non-democratic states. Regimes that want to crush free speech routinely employ automated and human-directed methods to silence dissent and politically uncomfortable material. Jails are filled across the world with bloggers and dissidents who challenge authoritarian rule. These voices are rarely heard in our media, especially if they are critical of Western foreign policy dictates. Alas, if only this were true. My government, the Australian government, led by Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, is currently proposing the imposition of a mandatory filtering process to, quote, protect Australian families and kids from some material that is currently on the net, end quote, namely child pornography and ultra-violent sites. It may sound benign enough, but the country's leading internet service providers, free speech lobbyists and independent parliamentarians have all responded with outrage that such a proposal might be implemented. Aside from the question, of course, of current technology being incapable of monitoring the long list of websites that could allegedly breach Australian law. Are you listening to this? This is from over a decade ago when they were planning to quash anything that went against what the government said. This is not happenstance. This is a well thought out war against the people, against mankind. It is a war, a war. You want to see what else is a war? So Steve Bannon, right? Oh, he's, he's been, you know, He's been indicted and, you know, this is a really big deal because he's been indicted and that means that he's super bad and, you know, he lied or he didn't turn up to Congress or he's not acknowledging that they have any fucking power because they don't because they're usurping it. Yet here's a senator who literally showed you fake ass tweets as evidence, fake ass tweets, and I'll point it out as evidence, right? who also had Fang Fang Bang Bang, a Chinese spy, right? Fang Fang Bang Bang, right? He showed fake tweets. I repeat, fake tweets. How do you know? I'll tell you. Fake tweets, wasn't sanctioned, wasn't arrested. You show fake evidence in a courtroom, your ass is tied up, locked away, and thrown away with a bow on it and nothing happened to him. Where's that equal law shit, Garland? January 6th. On January 1, he states, the big protest rally in Washington will take place at 11 a.m. Locational details to follow. Stop the steal. You'll see that an hour later, 
President Trump retweeted one of his Twitter followers. That follower was Kylie Kremer, executive director of Women for America First, the group organizing the January 6th rally and the creator of the Facebook group Stop the Steal. Kremer tweeted, quote, the cavalry is coming, Mr. President, referring to the cavalry showing up on January 6th. She also added a website for supporters to RSVP and made clear what the message was. Hashtag stop the steal. And what did President Trump say in response to hearing that the cavalry was coming? A great honor, he wrote back. This wasn't just a single tweet. He and his... So let me tell you something. Jennifer Lawrence, right? Friend of mine. Great day. Great, great gal. She writes, best day ever. Thank you at Real Donald Trump for the retweet. It's been an honor to stand up and fight for you and our nation. We'll be standing strong on January 6th in D.C. with you. We're bringing the cavalry, Mr. President. First of all, this is a doctored tweet. Remember, we did that. She's not a verified account. And that was not the tweet that was being sent out. So interesting, isn't it? They literally doctored the tweets. I showed it to you. The font, they fixed it. They had the wrong date. This was not the tweet. This was not the tweet. They lied. They showed fake evidence. Where is, what did they call it? Uh, uh, how did he say it? It was um, uh, equal justice under the law. Where the fuck is it? Let me guess. China paid for that too. Bang, 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 bang. So Eric Swallowell, it's okay that he puts up fake tweets. Because she's not, you know, she's not verified account. And that wasn't the right tweet. And he sits in the Senate. We're paying his fucking salary when he committed a crime purporting fabricated evidence. But it's okay because it was to impeach Donald Trump, right? Thank you for joining us on this Friday night. We begin tonight with that breaking news and those new criminal charges against former President Trump's chief strategist, Steve Bannon. President Trump has directed his allies not to cooperate in the congressional investigation into the deadly assault. Who said that? Did you hear him say that? Did he send a memo that you're saying that or are you just making shit up? Let me tell you what this is called with the lady with the eyebrows here, right? She's probably a tranny too. Let's, let's get straight. Let's talk about what this is. This is Pravda. This is propaganda. She just said the President Trump told them not to go. I'll tell you what. They send me a subpoena. I won't fucking go. I'll be like, fuck you. Who are you? I'm sorry. I don't acknowledge you. You're usurping your position. That is not a position for you. You have no power. I will not acknowledge you. Fuck you. And I'm standing 100% and all of us should be right behind Steve Bannon. There is no way that they can get us to do anything because they have no authority. How did it go in Labyrinth? You have no power over me. That's what's up. They have absolutely zero power unless we give it to them. This is why when I see people at school board saying, I kindly ask you to consider, no, it's fuck you, do it, bitch, or I'm removing you. That's how you need to be speaking to these people that are supposed to be there doing the job that you appointed them to do. Uh, appointed, elected them. Huh. In this case, they stole it. They fixed everything. On the U.S. Capitol in January, and Bannon is among those aides refusing to speak with lawmakers and was indicted today on two counts of contempt of Congress. He's expected to turn himself in.
And on Monday, President Trump's former chief of staff, Meadows, had until today to respond to a subpoena from those same House investigators. He, too, was a no-show and could now face similar charges. Investigators want to know exactly what President Trump and his advisors were doing and who they were in communication with before and during that violent insurrection as it unfolded. And that's led to an escalating legal battle between Team Trump and House members looking for answers. CBS's Nicole Killian leads us off from Capitol Hill. Good evening, Nicole. Hey, good evening, Nora. And the reaction tonight from lawmakers was swift. The select committee saying tonight that Steve Bannon's indictment sends a clear message to anyone trying to stonewall their investigation that no one is above the law. Tonight, former White House strategist Steve Bannon is charged with two counts of contempt of Congress for failing to comply with a subpoena from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. According to the indictment, Bannon did not produce documents and communications and did not appear for a deposition. Each count carries a maximum penalty of up to $1,000 and one year in jail. Bannon is the first individual charged in the jail. A thousand dollars? Shit. Bannon can wipe his ass with a thousand dollars. This guy has an insane amount of money. One year in jail? That's a stretch. January 6th probe, the committee alleges Bannon appears to have played a multifaceted role in the events of January 6th and had specific knowledge about them, including this warning on his podcast January 5th. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen, okay? It's going to be quite extraordinarily different. This is an important step for the Department of Justice. And I do know people thought it was, you know, a... No, he just knew that they were going to flip, that they were going to do shit, and they were going to let this happen. He knew. All of us knew, okay? Point blank. He knew that someone was going to fuck it up. He knew. It's not about breaking and storming the Capitol. It was... All the people that were actually in this were not about aggression. They were about peace and love and unity. But there were people like the Ali Akbars, which are Lincoln Project, that infiltrated, and now they're playing fucking pussy victim. Shit. This is so dumb. The uh, attorney general decision, I suppose, ultimately the buck stops with him. His indictment comes as the former president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was a no-show today before the select panel. The committee now threatening him with contempt, too, stating, it's unfortunate that Mr. Meadows has chosen to join a very small group of witnesses who believe they are above the law. Mr. Trump is also coming under more scrutiny for defending supporters who called for Vice President Mike Pence's execution, making these comments in an interview earlier this year with ABC News's Jonathan Carl. No, you I heard those chants. That was terrible. I mean, was, you know, the... He could have. Well, the people were very angry. We're saying hang my Because it's, it's common sense, John. The Select Committee hasn't indicated how soon it could issue a contempt citation against Meadows. Bannon is said to. Yeah, that's, you know, we're all behind him. We really don't care. They have no authority. They can kiss our ass. It's like when Hillary Clinton screwed over the whole world. You know, she even stole the China from the White House. I mean, come on. And you know what? Wait till you see this. This uh, docu-series will explain it all. It's going to make sense to you. After that, there is no, I'm going to hide and close my eyes, you know, and shut them tight. Right? There's no more hiding. It's going to be so apparent.
so apparent. So we talked about what causation is, right, uh, from legal terms, right? We talked about it. But I want to put this short um, clip of, a, you know, philosophical kind of thing of determinism. And then I want to show you what I'm trying to tell the masses here. Crash Course Philosophy is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace, share your passion with the world. Let's say for the sake of argument that you love your father, by which I mean you want him to be alive. And let's also assume that you don't have any attachments to your mother that you might describe as romantic. Well, guess who thought he felt the same way about his parents? Oedipus. According to ancient Greek legend, when Oedipus was born, a prophecy foretold that he would kill his father and marry his mother. So, in an act of colossally bad decision-making, his father left baby Oedipus in the wilderness, assuming he would die, and the prophecy would then not come true. But in Instead, the abandoned baby was discovered and raised by another family. As an adult, Oedipus learned of the prophecy that he would kill his father and marry his mother. So, not knowing he was adopted, he left his adoptive parents in order to avoid fulfilling that prophecy, figuring that if he wasn't near them, it couldn't come true. Lo and behold, as he was trying to flee his fate, Oedipus killed a stranger in a fit of rage who turned out to be the father he had never met. He then proceeded to marry the dead man's widow, who was actually his mother though he didn't know it. Needless to say, this is a fate that any of us would like to avoid. But for philosophers, the whole point of the story of Oedipus is there is no escaping fate. Are we free? I mean, on the one hand, most of us have the clear sense that we are. We feel free. We feel like we make all sorts of decisions that lead to both beliefs and actions that are wholly of our own choosing. Like, I could do that. I had oatmeal this morning because I felt like it. This view that humans are capable of entirely free actions is known as libertarian free will. And to be clear, libertarian free will is nothing like political libertarianism. Both views get their name from the word liberty, but political libertarians are all about freedom from government intervention, while people who accept libertarian free will could be anything from political libertarians to socialists. They just think that metaphysically we can act freely. So a lot of us figure that our thoughts and actions are free, but most of us also believe that every effect has a cause and that everything that happens now in the present is the necessary result of events that occurred in the past. This view is known as hard determinism. And many of the people watching this probably think that they believe in both things, that many of your actions are free and that the world is governed by cause and effect. But it turns out you can't rationally hold both views because traditionally libertarians have defined free actions according to what's known as the principle of alternate possibilities. That might sound like a plot device for a sci-fi show, but this principle says that an action is free only if the agent, that is the person doing the thing, could have done otherwise. So truly free actions require options. Determinism, by contrast, doesn't allow options. It holds that every event is caused by a previous event, which means that an agent can never have done anything other than what they did, and therefore they are never free. But let's look at these two options more closely, and also Let's look at my breakfast. Libertarianism says that my decision to eat oatmeal this morning wasn't necessarily caused by anything that happened before it. Instead, it could have been the result of non-physical events, specifically my own thoughts that originated right at that point. I ate oatmeal because I decided to eat oatmeal. End of story. But libertarianism runs counter to what we know about the workings of the physical world, with one thing causing another. So libertarians need a way to account for their views.
view. One way they do that is by making a distinction between what's known as event causation and agent causation. Event causation means that no physical event can occur without having been caused by a previous physical event. So many libertarians concede that the physical world itself is deterministic, like a baseball is flying through the air because someone hit that ball with a bat. But many libertarians also argue that there's such a thing as agent causation, which says that an agent, a being propelled by a mind, can start a whole chain of causality that wasn't caused by anything else. So the person who hit the ball most likely did so because they just decided to do it. By this logic, agents have the ability to affect the causal chain of the universe. They can make stuff happen on their own. But many philosophers find this idea untenable. Where would these free decisions, the ones that launch entirely new causal chains, come from, they ask? Are they simply random? What would compel an agent to make one decision and not another? And if you can answer those questions, if you can explain what would cause an agent to act, then, well, you've just reinforced the position that actions are caused rather than free. The fact is, it's pretty difficult to find arguments that support libertarian free will. The best argument in favor of it seems to be that it just feels an awful lot like we're free. And libertarian argue that we shouldn't discount the legitimacy of our own personal subjective experiences. So if we feel so free, we should seriously consider the possibility that we are. That point has a certain intuitive appeal, but if you can't come up with an argument to defend your feeling, then good philosophical reasoning recommends that you reject it, or at least withhold judgment until you can get some evidence together. So now, let's see if the hard determinists can do any better. 18th century French philosopher Baron Dolbach said that none of our actions are actually free. Dolbach believed that everything that's happening right now is the result of an unbroken chain of events. Everything, he said, is the inevitable result of what came before, including everything that we do. Our actions are caused in the same way that, say, home runs are caused by bats hitting balls or tornadoes are caused by warm air systems hitting cool air systems in the right conditions. This means that humans and our actions are just part of the physical world, bound by its physical laws. This belief is often explained through a view known as reductionism. Reductionism is the view that all parts of the world and of our own experience can be traced back or reduced down to one singular thing. So, for example, you see your mind as being capable of making free decisions. You think that what goes on in your head when you make a choice is not at all like bats and balls. But, well, mental states are brain states, or at least they're directly tied to your brain, and brain states are biological. And biological states are physical states. And the physical world, as we already said, is deterministic. There's just no room for free will in this picture. We think we're free, but we're not. And really, as scientific thinkers, why would we assume that we are? Why would we think that we're any different than everything else in the universe? What would make us so special? Libertarians are right that it's really hard to disregard the feeling of freedom. If I didn't choose to eat oatmeal this morning, why do I feel like I did? And what made me do it? But hard determinists say that the difference between the causes of human actions and the causes of physical events, like a bat hitting a ball, is that our actions have all sorts of invisible causes that happen in our brains. Specifically, when beliefs team up with our desires and our temperament, they say, you get a deliberate human action. Combine my belief that oatmeal is nutritious with my desire for healthy nourishment and the temperament that predisposes me to enjoy warm, carby comfort foods, and ta-da, you get oatmeal-y breakfast. Now, you might argue that those particular beliefs, desires, and temperaments might lead to any number of breakfast choices, cream of wheat maybe, or some granola. But if you dig deep enough, you'd find that there are factors that rule out those options, as well as every other option. Maybe I'm a little worried one of my fillings is coming loose, so I'm shying away from granola because it's too crunchy. Or I just don't think about cream of wheat very often. I mean, they don't have very good brand awareness anymore. What even is cream of wheat exactly? And the oatmeal 
is sitting right there in front of me. Or maybe I briefly think of making one of those quinoa breakfast bowls that are so hip right now, but my lazy temperament or my belief that I'm running late pushes me to choose the 90 seconds in the microwave option. See how it works. All you have to do is change one factor, a belief, a desire, or temperament, and you get a different outcome. Hard determinists argue that just because we can't pinpoint the exact factors that led us to an action, we could, in theory, isolate them if we knew enough about all of the beliefs, desires, and temperaments swirling around in our brains. So in this view, what we call decision are really just the inevitable results of a bunch of mental stuff combining in just the right way. And maybe it feels free, but it's not. But hold up, isn't there some way out of this? Like, what if I have someone choose my breakfast for me? Or what if I fall back on randomness by, like, flipping a coin? After all, if I just flipped a coin, then it wouldn't look like that decision was made by beliefs, desires, and temperaments. But, well, no such luck. Because even if I thought I chose randomly, my decision to flip the coin or who I asked to pick for me was just as determined as everything else. And guess what? If you're getting angry right now about me telling you that none of your choices are free, well, that anger was determined. If you're finding this whole topic confusing or boring, yup, still determined. You think you can freely choose to stop playing this video, but if you're still watching me, good news, that's determined too. Determinists believe that you can't help but feel and react the way you're reacting right now. You can think you're choosing to act in ways that conform to the character that you've selected and shaped for yourself, but even that choice is the result of all sorts of already determined factors about you and your place in the world. Hard determinism is tough to refute, and it has some really uncomfortable implications. It means the deeply held feeling most of us have that we actually make free decisions is just wrong. And the whole concept of personal responsibility is thrown out the window too. As Dolbach put it, we're all just cogs in a machine doing what we were always meant to do with no actual volition. Oedipus had to kill his dad and marry his mom. I had to eat oatmeal. And you? You just had to keep watching. You couldn't turn away. Today, we learned about libertarian free will and its counterpoint, hard determinism. Next time, we'll see if some middle ground can be found between determinism and libertarianism, and I sure hope there can be. Today's episode of Crime. So I hope that kind of helped you get a little bit of a perspective. So now we're gonna move on to the Buddhists, okay? The Buddhists. What does Buddha say about this? Does free will exist? What view do we get onto this question when we understand the Buddhist perspective? The Buddha supposedly said, There is free action, there is retribution, but I see no agent that passes out of one set of momentary elements into another one, except the connection of those elements. In this video, we are going to unpack this statement and explore how we can maybe get an insight into the subject for ourselves through the teachings of Buddhism. To begin the topic, let's start with a simple definition of free will. For the purpose of this exploration, we will define free will as the power truly of our own, independent from causal determinants. In order to thoroughly understand the Buddhist philosophy, we first have to get clear on the worldview we ourselves bring to the table. And the first relevant difference to note between Western and Eastern philosophy is the prevalence of this question of free will. Eastern philosophies are much more concerned with the absolute spiritual freedom instead of the individual free will. Whereas in the West, this understanding is mostly non-existent and the issue of free will is looked at from the individual's perspective. The next important insight into the matter can be gained by exploring the question why the Buddha finds that the question of free will is a non-issue. First, we need to understand that our Western worldview artificially creates the division of inner 
and outer experience. That this division is in fact a self-created illusion is not easily apparent to the Western mind. Typically, a couple of years of meditative practice or some sudden shift in perspective is acquired in order to fully grasp this fact. This perceived division in the Westerner's mind determines that the inner thinking mind is the agent that is here questioned to have free will or not. The conflict arises because we perceive a sense of agency and freedom on the inside while the outside seems to follow causality. Even though you might perceive things to be apparently so, this is actually a philosophical viewpoint with the history behind it. Descartes' meditations with the popular conclusion cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, gave rise to the idea what it means to be a subject. Since then, we only perceive ourselves, the thinking human, to be the subject. Everything else, including persons, have now become objects of our thought. Free will is also not a neutral idea in our minds. We perceive free will to be something good or valuable. Its loss therefore seems undesirable. This is contrary to the Buddhist view. The Buddhist chooses meditation and other spiritual practices to ultimately achieve nirvana, a state of freedom from any preference. The Buddhist author Sengstan put it this way, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinion for or against. The struggle of what one likes and what one dislikes is the disease of the mind. So the reason uh, I played the Buddhist version is for, for those few minutes. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a Big Brother episode. Have you guys ever, ever in your life, I mean, maybe nobody wants to admit it, watch Big Brother. But when you watch it, you see people, you know, that were from all walks of life suddenly share a house together and then they all vote each other out and shit, right? And then there's a last one, last one standing. When you see them in there, you see people having sex and not giving a shit about cameras. It's like, okay. But then they fight about stupid shit, right? And then you say to yourself, well, if I was in there, there's no fucking way I would act like that. So let's just pretend I was standing on the moon watching down. I'm like, dude, when I go to earth, there's like no way I'm going to act like that. They all act like savages. There's no way I'm going to get emotional like that. Like, come on, man, buck up. Like he, he ate your yogurt. Shut up, you know, or stop, you know, people are weak. I can see that. I understand. I will never be weak like them. I will keep focus, right? So I come into this big brother situation, let's say, and there I am complaining about a fucking yogurt. I feel like that sometimes because I get, I get, you know, upset. I get emotional. And it's that emotion. Have you ever heard that love and hate are almost the same emotion? They take the same energy, same, same peak of energy amount. 
And that usually the people that you hate the most, you may end up loving, right? Because it's the same. It's the, because it's this false sense of duality that we have where we're splitting, like he said in that narration, heaven and earth. And when you look at things without love and without hate, and you just see them simply as they are, they are undisguised. They are as clear as day when you can be objective. See, causality, free will, determinism, Venn diagrams. We share the same reality. We know that for me to talk to you, I must have a microphone. We all share that thought, right? We all share the thought that you have to hear my voice with your ears in order to hear me. But what if we shared the thought that you don't have to listen to my voice with your ears, but you can hear it in your head or, you know, you can smell it, right? Or you can see the words in front of your eyes, or that um, you can see me right next to you right now. And if we all believe that was a reality, then there's your determinism. We determine the bounds. We determine everything. And when we determine, fuck this shit, I'm taking my nation back and really mean it without thinking, well, I really want to take my, I'm taking my nation back. And you're saying it, right? It's like the dress you're wearing. You're looking all good, but you didn't take a shower, right? And you kind of smell like BO. You look good, but inside you kind of smell, right? That's the thing. That's the thing. We all say it, but then that, that thing of determinism, that Venn diagram of that shared reality that you know that they will fuck you if you go against them scares you. And therefore, you take a step back, right? You can speak things into reality. You don't have to be a time traveler to do it. You don't have to command time either. This is why I, I, I started this show with, you know, the difference between church and God. They determine things for you. They determine what love is, what God's love is. They determine that you must be a servant to God, not a servant to yourself. Because as any parent, if you respect yourself, you love yourself, and you strive to be a good person, you as a parent are joyful and you love your child. It's the same thing here. Determinism, causation. Causation is going to be a big thing because Biden's going to have to answer that. I'll tell you why. So this whole Kyle Rittenhouse case has blown up in their face. I knew it was going to happen. That poor boy has been in my prayers for weeks, months. My gosh, that poor boy. Yeah, okay. He's a boy. He's got trucks and guns and likes to play Call of Duty. Like, who doesn't? You know, he's like a, a Wisconsin redneck, you know, whatever. And it's blowing up in their face. And as you can see, evil wrapped itself around that case like crazy. You saw what Barnes did. And yet God had his back, had that boy's back. People were fired for donating to him. I guess there's got to be some suing done because they were fired and the kid is innocent. You see, every action has a reaction, right? Cause and effect, right? This is the law. The no energy can be created out of nothing or destroyed. It simply changes form. If you put a lot into an effect, oh boy, right? If you cause something, you're going to have an effect, just like the show. 
You're enjoying this show. No, you're not. You hate this. This is like a fucking horror flick back to back. And you're like, okay, and the more you're watching, the shittier it gets. Because you're now getting into the film. You're like, damn, I know the character. Damn, I can predict the shit they're going to do. Damn this. Damn that. I, I want this movie to stop. It's a nightmare, Tori. While everyone was telling you to eat popcorn, just because we know the ending doesn't mean we know the middle. You guys watched what I'm going to find that clip while we watch this, because I want you guys to listen to what the mother of Kyle Rittenhouse says, what Wendy says, because this is going to be pretty interesting. First interview since her son took the stand. Wendy Rittenhouse is with us. Um, I'm sure this is a hard time for you and your family. Uh, I want to take this audience back to yesterday when your son was testifying and he had a tough time. Let me play this. I was cornered from in front of me with Mr. Zeminski. And there were <laughs> there were people right there. <laughs> One day I watched that. I'm a pretty good read. I read people pretty well. I've done it my whole life. And that mm -hmm. seemed like a classic panic attack that we were witnessing on the stand. That's your son. How did that make you feel? I just, I just broke down with, with Kyle crying like that. It made me feel heartbroken, sad. And I wanted to just go up there and just hug him and tell him it would be okay. When the then candidate, now president of the United States and other elected officials mm -hmm. that don't know anything about your son, refer to him as a white supremacist. I have yet to see any evidence whatsoever that he is such a person. Mm -hmm. And when prominent people say that, what did that, how did that impact you and how did it impact him? When I saw what, um, afterwards of the um, President Kennedy um, candidate um, debate, when I saw that, I was in shock. I was angry. President Biden don't know my son whatsoever. And he's not a white supremacist. He's not a racist. And he did that for the votes. And I was so angry for a while at him. And what he did to my son, he defamed him. Let's go back to that night and let's roll this videotape. This was put together by your, former, your son's former attorney, Lynn Wood. And you see your son mm -hmm. running and you see a crowd of people racing to catch up to him. The first person knocks off his hat. Then he's down on the ground. Then we've got this picture of an individual with his leg up about to pound his leg into his face, into the cement. 
That was one of the shootings. What do you see there? I see this man trying to kick my son in the face. I was scared. I was frightened. I thought my son was going to die that night. When you, when you, when you see the tape and you've heard witnesses testify that he was trying to de-escalate the situation there, when you look at the tape, when you look at the witness testimony, and then the prosecution brings on their star witness who got shot by your son. And that star witness admitted mm -hmm. on the stand under oath that he aimed a loaded gun at your son before your son shot him. That would seem to me a classic case of self-defense. Your thoughts. When I look at that video with that guy pointing the gun to my son's head, I thought he was going to die. <laughs> this guy just put pointed his gun at his head and I it took a long time to just to just to grasp on that he was alive and knowing that he's with me I'm 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 grateful and I'm relieved that he's okay, but he has a lot of healing to do because he does have nightmares for, from this. Let me, let me ask you about the judge who has been extraordinarily harsh <laughs> against the prosecution mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they're right on the borderline. They may be over the borderline. It better stop. Yeah. I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on post-arrest silence. It has been basic law in this country for 40, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like yeah. that. Don't get brazen with me. You knew very well attorneys mm -hmm. can't go into these types of areas. Do you think your son has received a fair trial? The judge is very fair. Um, people that I talked to that lives in Kenosha all their lives, they told me that Judge Droder is a very fair drudge, and he doesn't allow no nonsense in his courtroom. Nobody ever knows what a jury is going to do. I'm not asking you specifically for their reactions, but as you on a scale of one to ten, how seriously do you believe they're taking this case because they hold your son's life in their hands? Yeah, they do. And with the jury, they've been keeping a close eye on every evidence, every testimony, and they're paying good attention what's been said. That's the truth. Let me ask you this last question. I know your son was a lifeguard. I know your son's stated reason for going there was to help protect stores and, and, and help on the medical front. Mm -hmm. um, have you and your son discussed whether or not if he had to do it over again, he would go into a situation like that? With Kyle, I know him and he probably would do it again because that's the type of person he is. He always wants to help people. Even since he was a little boy, that's all he wanted to do was help people. It doesn't matter if it was raking leaves for the neighbors, talking to them, or just being goofy. Yeah. That's how 
I raised him is to help people. Wendy, I can't, I've learned in. Wendy and her family are going to be super rich in the future. Super rich in the future. Now, as I've said many, many times before, this is a movie. Every movie has its consequences, right? But the thing is, in this movie, you've got to be acting in it. You've got to be partaking in it. Because what was it from the Freddy Krueger? What was the, the scene from 1984? Hold on. This is like the best one. When you're sitting there and doing nothing, it's like you're sleepwalking, right? Just eating popcorn. Yeah, someone else is going to come save me. So you're falling asleep. Hello? Oh, hi, how you doing? Fine. Stand by your window so I can see you. You stand a million miles away. That's much better. I see your mom went ape at the security store today. You look like the prisoner of Zender or something. How long has it been since you slept? It's coming up on the seventh day. It's okay, I checked in. It's the record's 11. Listen, Glenn, I know who he is. Who? The killer. You do? Yes. And if he gets me, I'm pretty sure you're next. Me? Why would anybody want to kill me? Don't ask. Just give me some help nailing the guy when I bring him out. Bring him out of what? My dream. How do you plan to do that? Just like I did the hat. Have a hold of the sucker when you wake me up. Wait, wait a minute. You can't bring somebody out of a dream. If I can't, then you can all relax because it's just a case of me being nuts. Yeah, well, I can save you the trouble. You're nutty as a fruitcake. Mm. I love you anyway. Good. Then you won't mind cold-cocking this guy when I bring him out. What? You heard me. I grab the guy in my dream. You see me struggling till you wake me up. We both come out, you whack the fucker, and we got him. Are you crazy? Hit him with what? You're the jock. You have a baseball bat or something. Just meet me at my porch at midnight. Oh, and meanwhile. Meanwhile? Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Midnight? So, if you're asleep, right? If you're asleep, monsters do whatever they want. This is a movie with real fucking consequences. So, are you a spectator or a participant? Participants grab them and wake up. Spectators, well, they're at the mercy of the consequences for not being awake. That's how that works. That's how that cookie crumbles. It's a, it's a fascinating idea, one would say. Oh, that's fascinating. It's not. It really isn't. Because look at this nightmare. You want to see how they're all a uniparty? Let me wake you up real quick. Let me show you this quick video from elections this year. This is what a ballot looks like in New York. Take a look. Still be here voting, everyone. Everyone's wearing a mask. Check this out. 
Just this. This row, they have the same guy. <laughs> For all three. <laughs> Doesn't even happen. <laughs> same with this row. <laughs> same with this row. <laughs> same with this row. Check out this one. Here for any three, right? <laughs> the doggo and I have voted. Our doggo. So yeah, that's uh, that's what a New York City ballot looks like, at least in my district. So that was a ballot in Brooklyn. Oh, all Democrats. No conservatives, whatever the working families means, and no Republican. Just all Democrats. And those that, you know, they just thought, let's just make them all parties except for working families. So the other judges were every single party except for the fourth one, which is whatever. <laughs> so simple. Like, can't you see it? Can you see it now? You got to be able to see them now. But they don't win because this is the uprising. God bless. <laughs>